Inescapably foreign. What's up, Ketal Uhatut? Welcome to the first episode of Without Borders, a podcast to hear stories from the inescapably foreign. I'm your host, Nolan Yuma. I was born in Santiago de Chile, took my first steps in Antwerp, Belgium, and grew up in British Columbia, Canada. And the moment I felt a deep hole, a deep sense of home in Vancouver, I ended up in Spain. And that's one of the reasons I started this podcast. I want to share stories from nomads, expats, immigrants, third culture children, and anyone else that feels inescapably foreign. The goal is to break down borders. The podcast is for anyone interested in cultural psychology, travel, immigration, and language. And by the way, if you're learning English, you can download the transcripts and access language notes at www.withoutborders.fyi, link in the description. But let's get to our guest of the day. I'm lucky enough to have Renuk Samara Singha here with me. How's it going, man? Yeah, very good. Thank you. I feel like I need to say hello in all the different languages as well. <laughs> uh, well yeah. What other languages yeah. do you speak? Uh, obviously, I speak my native tongue, which is uh, Sinhala, which is from Sri Lanka, and obviously uh, English and then Spanish now, having moved to Spain, which is obviously where I met you. There are uh, two languages two main languages in Sri Lanka, right? Well, uh, officially there are three main languages. And okay. So it's Sinhala, Tamil, and English. Um, so those are like the three main languages. So when we grow up, like we learn um, at least two of those. Um, I learned all three, but <laughs> I'm not very good at my Tamil, whereas my, my father actually speaks pretty well. Um, I think the thing is like with, with any language, when you don't really use it as much, you kind of lose it. But yeah. I can at least write my name in it. So. <laughs> okay, nice. And uh, how long did you live in Sri Lanka before moving to the UK? And I was 18 when I moved to the UK, yeah, so until I was 18. Okay, so that is definitely... So long ago now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it, time to retire. <laughs> uh, well, that's definitely one something I want to focus on today is the... Because I know you've lived in many different countries, but what was it like primarily when you moved to to the UK when you were 18. Yeah, and it was, I mean, the thing is like culturally it's quite different in the, in the way like, I mean, I lived in a big city, so from that point of view, it doesn't really change that much. Like it's going from one big city to another big city. And, but the biggest change for me was like going from that kind of Asian household of like literally depending on your parents and, and other people for everything to to go into a western country where you have to pretty much be you know self-reliant and like i've never even made a cup of tea before i moved to the uk so that was a <laughs> baptism of fire <laughs> uh, that was quite interesting. okay well so what are some of the different parenting styles there do you, do you have any stories around that or yeah i mean i i remember like talking to some of my friends like and, and it was the same for me because it's not just your parents. Like, literally, your parents can see me in the street and tell me off. I even give me a whack if I'm being really naughty uh, or if I've done something bad. Like, or, you know, like, if I see somebody who's older than me, like, I always respect them as an auntie or an uncle. We always call them auntie and uncle or elder brother or elder sister. So it's a very different psyche, a very different way of, I don't know, like, being with people. So when I moved to the UK, like, having, you know, seeing my friends talk to their parents with their name, <laughs> I was like, wow, that, that is, you know, that, that could never happen. <laughs> I wouldn't even yeah. think of that. Like, you know, so 
those kind of things were, were like a big change uh, as well as obviously, you know, having to do everything by myself and, and having somebody else to eat for me. Yeah. And what was one of the most difficult things when you moved to the UK? What was one of the biggest shocks? Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of things. I think one, one was obviously having to work because <laughs> uh, I've never worked before. <laughs> and I remember I went like, so I was at university, so you could only do like 10 hours of work. I remember I was working in uh, uh, in in a shop, and the the guy asked me to sweep the floor, and I was like, uh, "No, I'm not sweeping the floor." <laughs> so I called my dad and said, "I want to go back home," because <laughs> uh, I was quite spoiled back home. Like uh, you know, we had people to do it for us, so it was you know I'm glad I went through it because it really helped me become resilient and and, and change the way I was, the way I saw the world. I think you know that. That really helped me um, because I feel like back home used to, well, when they home now, it's like London feels more like home, but, but home, home. And it was quite different the way you look at things in that kind of mentality of like getting other people to do things for you rather than you doing it yourself. So even when I go home now, like we'll have people come and, come and kind of help us, cook for us and things like that. So that was quite different for me. And then obviously having to go to university, do my own, own stuff at home, cook, uh, you know, uh, that was, yeah, it was a big shock, but I think I got into it quite quickly. I think the biggest thing for me was that because of my parents, the way they are, like I've always been quite open-minded and I always like a challenge. I always, and I think through, through my kind of, you know, background and how they brought me up, like, I have always been like quite adaptable, like so that kind of helped me to kind of get into it. And yeah, but it was yeah, it was a big shock. And did you have any family there already, or? Yeah, my my parents were there, so I moved. Well, I came into London, and then I went on a on a weekend trip to Southampton. And to my dad had some friends there, and they were like, "Oh, why don't you come here?" And and actually, I got to the UK quite late in the summer, so. They had already taken all the applications for universities. But I went to the Southampton Institute and they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get you in. And, and literally, just literally from a holiday to registering at a university just happened so fast. So I went from literally being at home as a, as a child, like as a kid, to straight, straight away becoming an adult, living by myself, uh, you know, within a week. So that was, yeah, that was quite hard. Yeah. Um, but it sounds almost like you had a harder experience in England. Uh, anything that was harder back in Sri Lanka for you? <laughs> not really. No, like life was life was very good. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't want to talk about it too much. It was very easy. Like I I didn't have to do anything. I I was quite. Yeah, I think I'm very grateful for my family and and obviously everything we had. And so I, I came from being like, not not a spoiled brat, but like just having a very different experience, you know, uh, to, to what I had in the UK. So it was a lot to kind of learn and, and adapt very quickly because, you know, having to have a job, then full-time university, living in another country. I remember my first day, like it was literally the end of June, you know, obviously that's, that's summertime. Um, and I was still wearing a jumper <laughs> because it was too cold for me. 
that that I was obviously not used to that. Like I remember, like one of the first times I st- saw snow, I was working in a shop in the um, in Argos. Doesn't see quite a bit. Um, and and the manager let me go outside and and see the snow <laughs> while I was working because I've never seen it before. Like so, there was a lot of different things uh, that I got to experience because of that. But I think it also made me who I am today because of those experiences. But yeah. I've been a very very different, not 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 in a negative way, but would have been a different person. Yeah, because it sounds in Sri Lanka, you you came from a very privileged background. When you moved to the UK, uh. Do you feel like that privilege was stripped away at all or? Yeah. And yeah, I think that was quite a strange thing because, you know, even when I was little, we've traveled quite a bit. Like my, my parents always like traveling. So we've been to like Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, like, you know, a lot of Asia, but it was my first time outside of Asia. And it was the first time I experienced racism towards me in, in a way that I never expected that because you know, obviously coming from that kind of well-off background to then people calling you a suicide bomber or or asking if you lived in the jungle, <laughs> you know, it was like, mm-hmm. I didn't expect that. And that was quite quite a, yeah, a very strange experience, I would say. And did that racism uh, just come from everyday people or did you experience any systemic racism in the bureaucracy or the immigration process? Yeah, I mean, it, it was from both sides. I think, you know, from people, I think, you know, people inherently like as human beings, you know, when we are faced with something we are not used to, we obviously put our defenses up and certain people, you know, that defense mechanism, mechanism could be aggression. For some people, it could be just hiding away from it. Or some people would be like, oh, not sure. Let's try and find out more. So different people react differently. But I think when you're completely not used to it and, and given, you know, all the things that's happening in the world, people, you know, obviously you probably heard of it, like a lot of people say, no, people are coming here to take my jobs, you know, that kind of thing. And I think often that ends up going out as racism or aggression and doesn't go down well. But then some people have been quite nice and saying, hey, oh, look, uh, and I remember like my neighbors were so lovely to me. Like they're like, oh, you know, every morning they'll come and say good morning. Uh, we became very, very friendly. Like even like I was babysitting their kids afterwards. You know, so it was it was quite not, quite different in the way different people were. I think it's just it's just that sometimes when people react in that kind of aggressive or kind of you know it's the completely closing it out kind of behavior. Uh, from an immigration point of view, it's tough. It is very very hard. And because Sri Lanka became independent in nineteen forty eight. 1948. Yeah, just a year after India. So India got it in 47. And it was, yeah, so, so I mean, the thing is like we're still part of the Commonwealth. So in theory, we should have more benefits in it. But I think a lot of these benefits go one way rather than two ways. Yeah. And, you know, coming from Canada, you probably have experienced some of it as well. Like, uh, and it, I just, I just experienced the benefits. <laughs> there you go. So, so that's the thing, right? Because depending on where you are and where you're coming from. And and I and I kind of see it as well sometimes because a lot of the people, you know, come from another foreign country, let's say a, a less well-off country or, a, you know, a developing country or, or a bad term to use, like third world country. And people come here to, you know, often to better their lives, right? 
or some others like myself, we come there to study or, you know, to, again, you know, at the end of the day, the end goal is to try and have a better life, right? For everybody. We all want to be in a better place, right? And, and that's natural. Uh, even if you look at the Maslow, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like, you know, all of this is working towards having a more comfortable, better life for you, right? So I kind of get that in a way, but at the same time, it almost feels like you take what you want and then you don't want the other stuff. Uh, so like going through the immigration process, there's so many obstacles to get it. And obviously we have to, there's a quarter of how many people are allowed in on any given year, but also you need to achieve a certain score. So if you don't get that, you won't get get the visa uh, to go there. And, and the thing is, a lot of the locals don't know this. So they just think we are there unqualified coming here to take their jobs. Uh, where I've come here, like obviously, you know, it's actually, it's not that easy to get a visa at all. And, you know, um, but I think on the, on the other hand, there are also other people who have here for a, a holiday and they just don't go back. So staying without a visa. So there's two sides to the story. Uh, but then I think on that kind of illegal side of the story is also that they, you know, then people talk about a lot of crimes from immigrants and things like that. And I think that also goes down to if you're there, let's say, illegally, without the documentation, uh, you can't get a job. If you can't get a job, how can you earn a living or how can you support your family? Cash 22. So cash 22. So, you know, it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation. And, and then sometimes, and I wouldn't ever do it, but sometimes people then resort to what, to, you know, to bad things. And I think this is where the media doesn't help either. The the, the bureaucracy doesn't help. The, the old school way of being doesn't help. And I mean, you probably, you know, we, we, we grew up around the same time, right? So we grew up hearing about this global village phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Where is it? We're still going apart as much as we can, like Brexit, like now in Europe. I mean, <laughs> everyone, you know, Trump coming in, talking about putting bloody wall up, like, I mean, it's crazy. Where's this global village? And it's been like 30 odd years now. Sad. (laughs) And we have to spend a lot more time trying to understand each other while rather than focusing on all the differences or using the differences to better understand how to help one another. Yeah. But I think, you know, again, for me, the way I see it is like, look, if, if if you're welcoming other cultures, experiences like I mean if you look at the two of us we've had very different experiences growing up right different educations different exposure but then now you know now we get along really well you know we're friends and I think that's the beauty of life like just being open to those kind of different things and and I think personally it helps us grow as people uh, and I always used to say this in my in my last job um, when I was in London our team was so multicultural uh, and there was another team that wasn't, and and I used to organize all these cultural days and things like that. And then they're like, "Oh, you know, we should uh, we should get you know get everyone get get them to get involved." And I was like, "Yeah, absolutely. Like we are welcoming people to come and join us, but nobody's nobody's coming. It's always only the foreigners." And I said, "And and therein lies the problem because again, if you're not open to it, that's not going to help you understand you know different ways of being." I think. In a team situation, and this is what I used to say to my team, it's an absolute, you know, positive that we are from different backgrounds because 
if we all from the same like similar backgrounds, the way we think is going to be very similar. So the the way we answer a problem is always going to be similar, give or take, right? For us, you like you know how to get to four. It's like okay, two plus two, but also maybe somebody else comes and goes. Well, what about two times two, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's a you know or eight divided by to whatever you know so it's a different way of looking at things and i think you know our team of having italian spanish you know africans indians and chinese like all in same chain that really brought a different dynamic different way of thinking that then resulted in in better ideas i would say or or different ideas yeah i was also curious about that because you're in business how would you compare the organization styles of um in sri lanka compared to england or in the west because i know in south south uh, korea you have um i'm probably going to butcher this pronunciation but chai bun and then in china you have guangzi and there's just certain ways of how these businesses are organized um <laughs> to us we might even call it nepotism but it's not <laughs> quite that it's a little bit different and i was just wondering yeah, what 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 has been like from your experience? I think yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I I only have you know secondhand experiences of obviously working in Sri Lanka because I I never worked there because I was you know obviously a kid before I moved to the UK. Um, but there's you know from what I've heard from my friends and you clearly see the differences. Like um, you know, it's very hierarchical and a bit backwards uh, in mm-hmm. Sri Lanka in that sense. It's changing, you know, you go there, like, you don't even look at your boss eye to eye. Whereas in the UK, it's different, you know, it's, it, and especially I worked in the, in the marketing industry. So that, that's completely different. Even if you look at the UK as a whole, I think, um, if you look at the advertising industry, that's, I, th- I would say a lot further ahead than some of the other industries in the way that we try to keep it like very flat in terms of the structure. Like we got rid of desks you know, like the cubicles, like where this is your desk, this is your desk. We got rid of the the officers for the CEO, for the management team. Everybody sat next to each other. Like I remember like as a, you know, as a, as a junior person, I was sat next to the CEO one day and the next day I'm sat next to somebody else completely. I mean, you'd never get that. And I think even still in the UK and in most of the Western countries, like especially in America, you still have that kind of hierarchy. And in yeah. Sri Lanka, and, and most of Asia, you still have that hierarchy and, and the way you do things. So I, I went to China once for work and they were scared of their CEO. Like, <laughs> you know, if she looks at them, they'll be like, <laughs> <laughs> and they wouldn't do anything in the office. Like, you know, that the bit outside of that, like whereas in the UK, like, like on Fridays, we used to have a beer club at lunchtime. Like literally one of us will bring a beer. All of us will get together to CEO us, some of the cleaning stuff, whoever it might be, everyone was welcome. We'll have a drink and then, you know, we'll go to the pub and then go back to work. It's a very different mindset, a very different way of being. Um, and I think it's changing for the better, um, but it's still going to take a while to get there. Okay. Uh, I think, and also throw into the works the, the whole remote working conversation that that changes everything again as well definitely uh also just tying into the problem solving um i remember in cultural psychology we talked about the 2004 tsunami in southeast asia and we learned about the traumatic response 
um, in the West versus in Sri Lanka. So the study was actually done in Sri Lanka and all these mm -hmm. Westerners came over and they approached trauma the way they do in the West, right? So they centered um, around the individual psyche. Uh, they associated trauma with fear, anxiety, and other emotional consequences. Whereas yeah. Sri Lanka, and they didn't, people in Sri Lanka, they didn't really uh, have the same association, right? It's more centered around damage to social relationships, and they don't really think about the trauma in the same way. Have, have you had any experience with this or anything that yeah, you've had I, to adapt to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's quite interesting. I think, you know, for me, one of the biggest things like I had, you know, going into into business, going through interviews and, and, and things like that, they always ask, like, what have you done, you know, to show that you are the best candidate? And, and I always would reply saying, we or us as a team because we 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 were brought up in that kind of collective mentality it's always like us together you know we're a small island uh we still have 21 million people but it's a small island it's a very small island so we still have that island mentality of like we're always together and you know and like a, a good example of that is like when you have a wedding in in, in asia versus having a wedding in a western country you have like literally everybody you ever even heard of or people you don't know coming to your own wedding whereas you go to you know in the UK you have like 50, 60, 100 people tops uh, coming to your wedding so you clearly see that difference about you know a, a smaller uh, group of people or, or the individual mindset versus that collective bigger uh, social mindset so for me that was a big thing that I had to adopt and I think sometimes my Sri Lankan still comes out like when I'm when I'm talking when I've come up with the idea or when I've come up with the the solution or the initiative, I still always say we or us. Um, and I remember often in, in interviews, like they were like, so so hold on a second, just to clarify this, did you do this or did your team come up with it? So I'm like, oh, no, no, I, I did. So I had to go back again. But it's just, it's just a hard thing to change. Like when it's really, I mean, you know, I grew up until I was 18 there. So it's very hard. To change something that's really ingrained with you. I almost hope it doesn't change. I, I love it. I think it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you see that whenever we go out to eat, I'm always saying, let's get loads of stuff and share everything. And, you know, I was with some friends, like sometimes you go in the UK, you get your own thing and, and that's it, you know, you just eat that. And I, for me, I think it takes a bit of the beauty away of, of us being friends in a group, you know, because you're like, I mean, back home, I would literally take a bite from my sandwich and then give it to you. And like, yeah, all good. Yeah, you yeah. know, good. That's how it is. I'd be there, be like, what? No chance. And uh, <laughs> I actually, it's it's really interesting. Like one thing I saw, like, because you know, I travel a lot, as you know. Um, kind of often try to travel with uh, different people. Like you know, I go with, let's say, I go, I mean, we did some travels with you and your brother, and you know, I go with some other friends, and. And then while well, I was in Poland with two friends from Portugal and we bought a couple of bottles of water and because obviously with the war and stuff, it was very busy. So we were there. I literally went and got like one bottle because it was obviously we need to help help the uh, refugees and stuff. So I just got one that we can share for the trip and it was like a five hour journey. And so I got into the train and we couldn't get our seats because they were like families. So we gave them our seats and stuff. So anyway, we were standing there and, and I offered 
the water uh, to them. So straight away they opened it, straight in with their lips, boom, 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 and, and then yeah. I took it and I drank it without putting my lips on it. And they're like, oh, that's such a such an Asian way to drink. And I'm like, oh, what do you mean? And since then I've blocked it every time. All of my Western friends, I mean, most of them, they always drink with the, the bottle in your mouth rather than like that because we always think like, oh, no, somebody else has to drink for this. Definitely. But I have noticed that because I'm someone who hikes a lot and I do notice other hikers, we do the thing where it's we bring the water a little bit further away and just let it be yeah. because you know you're probably going to be sharing that water bottle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, I found that quite interesting, like the, you know. <laughs> That's definitely something I want to talk about on another episode together because I think we're just about time here. I want to make sure we save them for all about half an hour, these episodes. By the way, listeners, if you say, no, no, do it 40 minutes, an hour, that's what we want, tell me because I'm just starting this out and I need your feedback. Uh, But next time, I definitely want to talk with Renouk about our immigration experiences in Spain. And while talking about communal food, I definitely think we can tie that into DAPA culture as well. So we'll save that for another episode. Uh, yeah. Anuk, anything else you want to mention before we finish off this episode? Yeah, I think for me, you know, in, in all of this, and what really helps help me and I think would help other people is just if you see somebody behaving in a certain way towards you, let's say in a negative way, always think like, why are they behaving like that? Because there has to be a reason behind it. We don't just go out of our way to do something, make something. In general, I would like to think people don't do that. But I think, and and in you know in in business and in life, it's always really helped me to kind of break down those borders and those barriers. And I think that that mentality, that that approach, will help. And I think if I can, from my life experience, something I can I can give to the listeners, and you know, it will be that. I think uh, just be open and and kind of try to understand why people are behaving in a certain way and how you can kind of break down those barriers and borders to kind of explain or kind of you know get them in uh so to say because i think you know we're all here none of us chose to be born where we were born you know none of us chose to be like this though in or maybe you're all looking like brad pitt and angelina jolie but you know and so yeah. i think it's just understanding that and and just embracing the life we have and celebrating it and living a good life i think for me that's what matters Perfect, man. Thank you. Because that's exactly what I'm trying to do here with Without Borders. Uh, so, Renouk, thanks. Thanks again, man. Really appreciate I- it, especially since it's the first episode. <laughs> it's a learning experience for me. And uh, to all the listeners, thank you so much. Uh, seriously, uh, eres de puta madre, we would say here in Spain. And um, since this is the first episode, please throw me your feedback if you have any advice or critique. Uh, or if you want to be on the show, you can go to www.withoutborders.fyi.